Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following content is explicit. It's Thursday, December 7th, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Walmart stores are no more. Oh, they're still there. They're just not calling themselves Walmart stores. And by the way, there was a hyphen between the wall and the mart. Now they're just Walmart Inc. Changes everything, doesn't it? The chief executive, Doug McMillan, said, we felt it best to have a name that was consistent with the idea that you could shop us however you like as a customer. So if we say stores, the millennials don't know what that is. This is also running counter to a trend of hyphenization, which has taken off recently. Walmart dropped the hyphenization. Now, why this uh, struck me as interesting is that there are a couple of trends that have diverged in naming in our society. When it comes to businesses, usually they go from the long name to the short name. The Facebook becomes just Facebook. Jerry's Guide to the World Wide Web, that became Yahoo. And even non-tech Companies, Kentucky Fried Chicken, now just KFC. I think they want to be simpler. I think they want to be more direct. But when it comes to social causes, either groups or descriptions, it is always a question of expansion. So George Carlin had this great routine about how in World War I, you were shell-shocked. In World War II, you experienced battle fatigue. But after the Vietnam War, it was post-traumatic stress disorder, always adding syllables. And we see this with names of groups. We see this with the descriptions of groups, uh, queer or gay. That stands in for something. But of course, now it is LGBTQIA. You have to name which name of feminism you are black, became African-American, became people of color. Look, I say people can call themselves what they want, but just think about what the name is doing. You might be more directly and aptly describing your social cause, but sometimes it comes at a price. It can be confusing to an outsider. Someone in the cause might say, we're damn sick and tired of catering to outsiders. Fine, but there is a communication aspect as well. Let us take racism or bigotry. Used to be pretty simple. Then it got changed to white supremacy. If you know what white supremacy is, if you're read in on the scholarly discourse about white supremacy and critical race theory, this means something to you. But for the vast majority of Americans, what a white supremacist is, is a direct synonym for a Klansman, which by the way, is a fewer syllable term also. So it used to be you're a Nazi or in the KKK, then it became you're a white supremacist. At the same time, the title white supremacy got applied to the entire structure of society, what I might call systemic discrimination. And there you have actual confusion. People who chafe at being called white supremacist or believing in white supremacy, not because they're trying to deny an obvious truth, but they grew up 
only knowing white supremacy as a Klansman. I'm not a Klansman, therefore I don't subscribe to it. And what I really think is going on is who the constituency is, why the name is changed to satisfy a constituency. When it comes to social groups, when it comes to social causes, the constituency are what you might call the stakeholders within that movement. But for companies, the constituency are people outside that movement, potential customers. And that alone is, I think at times, the difference between clarity and confusion. Perhaps you might want to take a page from these companies' social movements, although I guess LGBTQIA is the new KFC. On the show today, in the spiel, I talk about the FBI director going up to Capitol Hill. And we'll also talk about another name change, or at least a title change. His name will still be Al Franken. It's just that Senator won't be before it. I'm joined by Dahlia Lithwick of Slate. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today, Al Franken gave a speech on the floor of the Senate where he announced that he will resign. This came after most of his caucus called for his resignation, including a coordinated effort, as we reported yesterday, by a dozen or so female senators. Al Franken is paying a high price. Is it too high a price? I don't know. Politically, you can argue that either you are the party who is against sexual harassment, or you're not, and the Democrats see a value in being the party that is. There are other sides to the argument, and joining me now is someone, I think, with a slightly different view, and so let's uh, interrogate that view, as the kids say. Hello, Dahlia Lithwick. <laughs> I'm Mike Pesca. Dahlia covers the courts for Slate. Her amicus podcast should be in your feed. All right. You wrote what about the Franken-Ouster today? I think I said that the rhetoric of when they go low, we get high. <laughs> we get high, yeah. <laughs> I think Shaggy said that, yeah. <laughs> I think that we may be making a, a fundamental error mm -hmm. and that there has to be some space between when they go low, we are as low as them or we embrace rapists. That's clearly not right. Right. But um, this sort of moral high ground argument that we just have to consistently kneecap ourselves because we're answering to something that is noble, uh, it, it may not be in service of the minorities, the groups, the people we're purporting to help when we take people out based on, it seems to me, demonstrably different allegations than, than right. what we're saying about Roy Moore. I don't know if they're misdemeanors, but if you believe in a hell, I think Roy Moore is going there. And I wouldn't say the same about Al Franken based on the eight, and I'll put that in an asterisk because some of those accusations seem fairly innocuous. He grabbed my side twice, but I don't think Al Franken's going there. So unilateral disarmament is essentially what you're arguing. And look at it this way, Mike. You have watched my slow, inexorable breakdown. It predates the November 2016 election. It starts with Merrick Garland. Yeah. And so I almost have a year's jump 
on this question of doing the honorable thing and thinking that the other side is going to meet you halfway or that you're going to change hearts and minds. Uh, You know, don't forget the minute The minute Scalia died, we had within seconds a Republican senator saying no hearing, no vote, not for anybody that Obama puts up. Just sheer obstruction. You can tether it to crazy claims about Bork. You can tether it to crazy claims about presidents in their last year in office. It was bunk. We knew it was bunk. And Democrats, I think, said we're just going to be reasonable. And Obama said, you know, I could put up somebody who's a radical bomb-throwing left of you, but no, no, yeah. I'm going to put up the guy that they the all... The kind of Democrat s- who a Republican would vote for, That maybe. Orrin Hatch said, yeah. you know who you should put up? Right. Merrick Garland. And, and, and I watched this play out, and I feel as though this notion that if we just keep behaving impeccably at some point cooler heads prevail we get pantsed every single time but i think the real motivation isn't to try to get the republicans to act in kind i think the real motivation is to try to appeal to voters and in fact it might be electorally advantageous though it'll take a while to test this theory if republicans don't act in kind so fine, we know who the Republicans are. We know that they are the kind of people who would obstruct Merrick Garland. Fine, keep doing that. This will redound to our benefit in the polls. What do you think of that? I think that we're going to wait and see what happens with Roy Moore, right? right. I mean, well, I think but, that but, but that's can't judge. a natural I think Alabama's going to vote how Alabama votes. <laughs> okay. And maybe in 2018, if the Democrats are somewhat successfully the party against harassment, that will have some electoral benefit for them. Uh, Maybe. I mean, it's just if there weren't such countervailing forces that are trending in the other direction. I mean, a year ago, no right-thinking Republican would have said, hey, let's put a guy who brags on tape into the Oval Office and hope that, you know, the, what, 27 accusers uh, are not not right. I think that the idea that two weeks ago it was fundamentally disqualifying that Roy Moore could even be talked about for a Senate seat. And here we are two weeks later. It's like, eh, let the people decide. So the suggestion that this only trends in one direction, I think is preposterous. I think it is equally true or possible, and that's what we can only do is speculate, that it trends in the other direction, which is we are normalizing and accepting behaviors that would have been unthinkable two weeks ago. And so I I just think to sort of lay down the marker and say, you know, the arc of moral justice, this is going to work out to the benefit of women in fairness. We're seeing the opposite thing happening. But you think that it's possible that we are normalizing this aberrant behavior. So that's why the Democrats are doing whatever they can to stop that. This would be the get franken out argument. No, I mean, listen, I'm a process person, such a process person that if there isn't findings of fact and there isn't a process, I get very anxious. Mm -hmm. So principally, my thought is you can say believe women, you can say respect and honor victims. I think all that can be true. And doing away with processes doesn't redound to the Democrats' benefit. It just can't. Yeah, you're coming to this conclusion on Franken when he says so much of it isn't true. Well, he says have an investigation. There is a process in place. Well, the ethics ethics panel is not great for that process. It's never been used for that before. But but at the very least, there is something happening, Mm -hmm. some testable, measurable metric of at least smoking this out. And what scares me, and I really think this is important, is that you can say believe the women, and I do believe the women, and still measure for scope and severity and harm. And I think that 
failing to do that in tandem with the hope that maybe the public is going to get exercised about something that they couldn't get exercised a year and a half ago when it happened on that bus. I just think that you are abandoning processes that exist to do exactly the work we are not doing. Except except the public, really the vast majority of voters didn't vote for Donald Trump, right, when you count the Green Party vote and when you account for libertarian vote. You know, he lost to Hillary by 3 million. He lost by about 6 million when you count everyone's vote. Fine. Putting that aside, I think there's an argument here that perhaps some Democrats just ethically think this guy should go. Other Democrats are being political. But they have a constituency. They have a base. And if you ask the base to accept this, it's sort of like when the Catholic Church asked their parishioners to accept their answers for the priest scandals. It just creates so much cognitive dissonance that your base might not totally fall apart, but you'll lose more people than you gain. So maybe it's not about peeling off Republicans. It's a political party rationally acting in the interests of the people who are part of that party. But Mike, what's the this in that sentence? What is the this that I don't know. we're I asking? It a while ago. The, yeah. I know it was like eight <laughs> clauses ago. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. think when you said ask the base to accept this and, and we still that don't know. That we have know. harassers in our midst and that we countenance those harassers. And, and, and I would suggest that, that this seems to, at this moment, involve inchoate behaviors. Franken is saying some of it happened, some of it didn't. Uh, let's test this, which was his initial response. And we're just saying, again, you can believe the accusers. I don't want to be in the camp of people who are saying that, you know, we should be going after these women. But I think that the notion that there can be no nuance, no investigation, no, I'll use your word, interrogation of the facts just because we want to placate the base, I hope that that makes you feel very afraid because we have all done stupid, stupid things in our careers. And if we are vulnerable— Or before our careers. Or before (laughs) our—I'm doing a stupid thing right now sitting here having this conversation. (laughs) But I think that if we are all going to be dismissed from our jobs— predicated on something that is untestable and unknowable. Beyond because we want jobs, to, if we're going to thwart the will of uh, five and a half million Minnesotans. I, you know, I, I had this blinding realization in Charlottesville on August 12th, and that was, what do you do when the courts have let you down, the cops have let you down, when, oh my God, now I'm Antifa helped us today. Like, it's hard Mm -hmm. if you are not a nihilist and you believe in systems and you believe in institutions when they don't do what they're meant to do. I don't think the answer is to blow up the institutions and set stuff on fire. I think we have to figure out how to fix institutions and how to create systems that redound to our benefit. And here's why. If you don't, if you go for the full-on nihilist, let's just throw everybody who may or may not be a predator out. It doesn't ever help women and minorities. It doesn't ever help the people who have no power when you break a system. If you say trust the process, does that mean trust the process with Fahrenheit? Trust the process with Conyers? Has the process moved along such that when you hear the Conyers allegations, they're so shocking you can't say, well, we need to act on this? In Conyers' case, it seems to me cut and dry, and it also seems to be getting worse, Mm -hmm. right? So I think Conyers is— Well, you could say the same for Franken. One accuser, two accusers, eight accusers, a second accuser. So the one accuser said he's, you know— stole a kiss, an unwanted kiss, then some copying of feels during a photo, but then another accuser who said he went in for the kiss. That was that was when most of the female senators came out and said he's got to go. I think that the female senator said he's got to go on that Atlantic article about the, the waste, and I think that that's oh, yeah. where you get into trouble. I just think, listen, there is this 
very strong impulse to say, this is the line. The line is here. We've now crossed it. I, I worry that that's happening based on media determinations and not uh, based on, you know, we know that the media is now at a place, Mike, where there is our media and their media. There are our accusers and their accusers. And we spend all of our energy discrediting the other side. So I think that it cannot be the case. If you still believe in facts and truth, it's got to be something beyond a media that nobody trusts anymore that's making these findings. That's the Sam Cedar story, right? I mean, that's just insane what happened in the span, you know, a telescope span of two days. And it cannot be the case that the media is the arbiter of what actually happened and who has crossed the line and who hasn't. Yeah. Look, the Franken resignation, I'm not unambivalent about it, believe me. But I think it's politics and politics is often a rough business and people have lost elections based on bigger bullshit than this and there's real and and lost standing based on less transgression than this and i think there is a political benefit to the democrats doing what they're doing now unfortunately for franken this is coming out now also unfortunately for franken he did it you know he did a lot of it right i kind of liken it to that google employee who was let go after voicing his opinion and yet there is another standard, which is that if you're a low-level employee and you cause your employer such a headache, you go, you got to go. If you're a politician and you're trying to enact legislation, standing for the right thing, but also influence voters, and in the midst of a fever, you play into the bad sides of the fever, and your fellow senators say you got to go, then... I say you got to go to. I, I stipulate that. And I, I want to be totally clear. I hope it was clear in every word of my piece. I am as ambivalent as you are. Yeah. I, I do not in any way want to be on the record saying this was about Franken. I think in the piece I said he should probably go to. But I think that for me, the takeaway is this. You have a ratchet that's trending one way in one direction, which is Democrats are never going to be pure enough, never going to clean house enough. If you think Franken is the first or the second or the fifth to go, uh uh-uh, this only trends one way in this quest to be the party that is as pure as Mm -hmm. you say it needs to be in order to mollify folks. And then – correspondingly on the other side, where the ratchet is not working toward cleaning house. The ratchet is accepting and normalizing acts of vicious, violent predation. It should not even be a question that putting a 14-year-old girl's head in your lap is disqualifying. And yet there is no fix for that. There is no corrective for that other than making it okay. And what you're saying is let's roll the dice and hope that voters are smart enough to sort through this. And what I'm saying is that the goal posts are moving. They are moving in both directions and that to be at least thoughtful and savvy, it doesn't mean accepting predators in our midst, but it does mean, I think, trusting that there are fact-finding processes that exist for a reason. I would say that what we should do is see what happens and see if Blake Farenthold goes because Donald Trump's one thing, the president of the United States, I could see why Republicans would want him in that position. And an open Senate seat for years in Alabama, I could see why Republicans or some Republicans and some voters in Alabama who hate Democrats would want that. But Farenthold's expendable. Farenthold's just one of dozens of people who give them the majority and he's in a safe district. And if they let him stay, then a lot of what you're saying is right, that the Republican ratchet is not moving at all. 
Okay. Well, then we're gonna we're gonna revisit this. I'm not gonna bet on it. <laughs> I'm not offering yeah. to. No gaming has happened here today. Right. I'm not offering to bet, but I think, and I'm I'm a glass half empty person, so uh-huh. it's entirely possible that you are gonna touch down dance when when this happens. But I just think being savvy and smart, particularly in a moment, particularly yeah. in a moment when the stakes are so high, isn't necessarily an error. Well, if I do touch down dance, I will <laughs> authorize you to douse me with that half glass of Gatorade. That'll be the reward. Dahlia Lithwick hosts the Amicus podcast and covers the courts for Slate. Thank you, Dahlia. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I love when we scream at each other. When you Nobody. said I made your And now the spiel. The president, Donald Trump, has been tearing into the FBI. FBI's reputation is in tatters, worst in history. Now, why would Trump think the FBI is aligned against him? Well, it is an intelligence agency. And with that as backdrop, we have Chris Wray. He's Trump's handpicked successor to run the FBI. And he was on Capitol Hill testifying about how he's been doing. He's stuck up for his bureau and he did his best to stick to the rule of law and procedure and not get baited into any tete-a-tetes with Republican lawmakers. Not that Republicans didn't try. To them, the fact that Peter Strzok was removed by Robert Mueller from his investigative team after Strzok's anti-Trump texts were revealed is perhaps the key to a vast anti-right-wing conspiracy. Well, actually, let's step back a bit. Chris Ray's a Republican. Bob Mueller's a Republican. So maybe it's not exactly right-wing. It's a Trumpist conspiracy. Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio remarked, If you kicked everybody off Mueller's team who was anti-Trump, I don't think there'd be anybody left. Wait, why would everyone on the Mueller team be anti-Trump? Oh, yeah, that's right. They're intelligence officials. But Ray said, time and again, that he couldn't get into details of Strzok's removal. Couldn't talk about what was in any FISA requests. This is just not done in open session. And by the way, these are classified documents. That explanation was not interpreted as definitive. Representative Jordan, in fact, interpreted it as something of an opening. Well, if you can't clarify, then I'll just postulate. So here's Jim Jordan asking, I guess you could say asking, Chris Ray about the Steele dossier, full of innuendo and rumor. And it's been reported that this dossier was all dressed up by the FBI, taken to the FISA court, and presented as a legitimate intelligence document that it became the basis for granting a warrant to spy on Americans. And I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering if that actually took place. It sure looks like it did. And the easiest way to clear it up is for you guys to tell us what was in that application and who took it there. Which Jordan knew Ray would decline to do because he said over and over that he's going to decline to do that classified information at all. So then Jordan made him say it again. Congressman, our staffs have been having extensive interaction with both intelligence committees on our interaction with the FISA court. And I think that's the appropriate setting for those questions. Here's what I think, Director Ray. Yeah, I'm guessing that this whole thing was a way for Jim Jordan to tell us what he thought. A preamble, if you will. And so he did. I think Peter Strzok... Head of counterintelligence at the FBI, Peter Strzok, the guy who ran the Clinton investigation, did all the interviews, Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok, the first American middle distance runner to record a four-minute mile. Peter Strzok, the guy who was 
running the Russian investigation at the FBI. Peter Strzok. Peter Strzok, the guy who is credited as L'Angelo Mysterioso on the Cream Song badge. Peter Strzok, Mr. Super Agent at the FBI. Peter Strzok, King of King, Lord of Lords, Conquering Lion of the Tribe of Judah. I think he's the guy who took the application to the FISA court. And Christopher Ray's answer was, yeah, it's classified, as I've told you at least three times. The Republicans, well, many of the Republicans on this panel, were running in kind of interference for the president, capitalizing on Mueller's dismissal of an investigator out of an abundance of caution. I don't know, I don't think it will derail things, but it's certainly an effort to complicate them. Will it work? We'll see if it Peter struck a nerve, or if at all, Peter struck reasonable observers as a Benghazi, Jade Helm, Berther type smokescreen. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Pierre Bienname, who assembled the show with one finger. The Gist was also produced by Mary Wilson, who inspired the Aztecs to name the avocado. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. He is also Lord of All Indoors. The Gist. We, Peter, struck out trying to find grander superlatives. Oom Peru, 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 and thanks for listening.